How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 246 of X-Labs, where we are rapidly approaching a milestone episode. 250 coming up, a quarter of a thousand episodes, which, uh, that's a lot of shows. Um, and as always, I uh, report to you live on tape or on digital, whatever this is, from the squeaky chair, which, uh, I am trying not to fidget around in as to not make this sound like a, uh, very irritating program to listen to, even more so than usual. Let's hop into today's book. This is X-Force, Volume 6, Number 22, October 2021 cover date. The story is called Cemetery Flowers, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Robert Gill. Colors, Guru EFX, letters, VCs Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Amaro Basso, White Sabolsky, cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale August 11, 2021. And boy, it feels like it's been forever since we covered an issue of X-Force. I almost didn't remember um, where we were. I never felt like we missed an issue, which is a good thing, but I I had to catch myself up. It's been, feels like it's been months. I'm, I'm sure it's not, but it feels like it. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get into it. We open at a cemetery in Mobile, Alabama, where Dr. Bloodroot visits the grave of his wife. Now, Dr. Bloodroot, I think we met him last issue, um, briefly. Now, he opens a packet of seeds and pours them around the area, feeling as though they would be a better tribute to her than an already dying bouquet or arrangement of flowers. He's then approached by Peacock Tattoo Guy from Zeno, who introduces himself as someone who has a common foe with the Doc. You see, they're both enemies of Krakoa. Bloodroot's been led to believe that his wife became addicted to mutant magic meds after having a surgery, which ultimately led to her dying of an overdose. Xeno Man escorts the Doc over to his car so they might work together on exacting revenge on the mutants. Double page spread, roll call and cred, our characters include Sage, Wolverine, Beast, Domino, and Manslaughter. Next, we're at the point where Sage and Beast are taking a look at some of the recent happenings. Now, if you recall from last issue, which we discussed, again, like forever ago, folks were being telefloronically controlled by some plant-like thing in order to act out against mutants. Now, Beast, he's here filing his nails, much to Sage's disgust. Now, Sage is able to deduce that all of these planty things are of the same origin. Like, they come from the same strain, I guess, of plants. And then they break away to confer with Manslaughter, who is uh, kind of just sitting there at the point. Now, Manslaughter pleads his innocence. He's like, hey, it wasn't me. You know, I didn't do it. And Beast has a theory about not only manslaughter, but this entire Mishigas here. And it involves chopping manslaughter's fingers off, which is a kind of a dick move, but it is also very much on brand for uh, current year beast. 
Anyway, the Fingies begin to wriggle and transform into tiny manslaughters of their own. Beast asks Manslaughter to try and control his fingerlings, and it looks like he can. Thus, the, I guess, offspring of a plant is controlled by the parent, and so they're going to have to find the parent of the Telefloronic Menace to see who is ultimately behind all of this badness. I think. Maybe it'll get cleared up in an info page, a Beast's logbook. Now, he kind of catches us up on what's going on, while being quite hypocritical on his views of, uh, like, scientific arrogance among Homo sapiens, especially when we consider that he's basically doing the very same thing here, and worse, in fact. Next, we shift over to a Krakoan gateway outside of New Orleans, or maybe inside New Orleans, where a half-dozen or so members of the Order of X are sat in worship. They're hoping to catch a glimpse of their gods. And if you recall, they are that mutant-worshipping cult that sprung up right after Hoxpox. Now, they're approached by Dr. Bloodroot, who, after taking over their bodies with some of his floronic nastiness, he's got like a big, disgusting flower in his belly. It's really unpleasant to look at. Now, after that, he uses that same nastiness in order to hijack the gateway, horticulture style, in order to allow the Order of X creeps access into Krakoa. Info page. It's more prose about Colossus painting, signed in Cyrillic. Uh, We've been seeing these every few issues for quite a while now. And uh, I'll let you know when it gets interesting. I, I don't expect it to. Back to Krakoa. Now, Beast has requested Wolverine and Domino meet he and Manslaughter in a field because they're field agents. <laughs> uh, from here, Manslaughter attempts to communicate with Krakoa itself in order to find out a way to choke out the invasive species of plant that threatens them. Beast compares this invasive species to kudzu, and uh, I guess that's our indication that Ben Percy just read the K volume of the encyclopedia. Now, just as Beast says, kudzu was brought over to the United States in 1876 as an ornamental from either Japan or China, where it originated. And here in the U.S., it does grow an entire foot a day. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, I think they call it a mile-a-minute weed or something like that. Now, in Asia, it doesn't seem to be quite that invasive and would be more of a seasonal plant, uh, dying or withering in the winter. In the uh, southeastern United States, that does not happen, I guess, or did not happen. Now, while they think on this, we shift over to the Green Lagoon, where the Order of X geeks are about to commence their hostile takeover of the island. Barman Blob doesn't appear to question why a weird-robed idiot with an X tattooed over their mouth was approaching his bar. I mean, maybe he gets new customers all the time. Uh, also, I mean, even if the gateways were compromised by Bloodroot, shouldn't Sage have gotten some sort of alert that folks were arriving? Like, shouldn't Krakoa itself know? Like, where, where do these gateways lead to? Don't they lead into some sort of a hub? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too hard. Now, it's worth noting here that we have one Order of Exer at the Green Lagoon who tosses the blob all over the place. So I guess we're kind of over the blob is an immovable force sort of gimmick, I guess. I don't know. We also see some young mutants on the beach. They look to be uh, making a sand mansion and a sand penis. Um, it's very phallic, whatever it is. They're approached by three more Order of Xers. From here, we rejoin the X-Force field crew and manslaughter back in Mobile, Alabama. There, they confront Dr. Bloodroot, who is still hanging out at the gravesite of his wife, Marsha. The Doc is telling his wife that he went out and got revenge on the mutants for what they did to her. Manslaughter saunters up and introduces himself, or I suppose reintroduces himself. From here, Bloodroot begins to transform. 
Now, he also raises a plant-zombified version of his wife from her grave, and then a whole bunch more plant zombies rise as well. Wolverine calls into Sage, who has finally realized that there's been an incursion on Krakoa, so good for you. Uh, back to the fight. Manslaughter informs Bloodroot that they'd learned something about Marsha... Bloodroot, I guess that'll be her last name, uh, during his chat with Krakoa. You see, they found out that she wasn't a mutant magic meds junkie. She was just an all-around junkie. And you'll never guess who her dealer was. Huh, some dude with a peacock tattoo. And while I don't have a record scratch sound effect queued up, uh, just imagine I put one here because, I mean, this is shocking, isn't it? Now, I believe this is picking up on a story that we read in Wolverine like a year and a half ago, where uh, Zeno turned the meds into some sort of a narcotic. That pollen stuff that we had during like the, uh, the pale... The Pale Girl storyline forever ago. I don't know. This is the Percy Corner, and I guess he is uh, going to pull from his own uh, his own lore. I don't know. From here, we get a fight, of course, and a bunch of plant puns, which do not feel natural in the slightest. Manslaughter tells Bloodroot that uh, Zeno used Bloodroot's own grief as fertilizer and said that he wanted to cultivate him. I, I didn't know this was a comedy. Uh, Bloodroot then lunges at Manslaughter, who finds himself impaled on the good monster's thorn-like fist. Now, just as this happens, all of the Order of Exers back on Krakoa fall to the ground. Bloodroot himself flops down into his wife's open grave and withers away into a skeleton. Okay. Um, From here, we jump over to the gateway on the Olympic Peninsula so as Wolverine can drop Manslaughter back at home. And Logan asks if Bloodroot is actually dead, and naturally he's not. I mean, he's a plant man. How do you kill a plant man? And for listeners of the Essential X-Lapsed, we're not talking about THE plant man. This is just a plant man. Uh, Wolverine claims to have learned something about running away from a plant, which (laughs) I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Maybe that's a reference to something uh, very, very obscure, or maybe it's uh, just another case of Wolverine saying something stupid, a la ride or die. Um, Anyway... We wrap up with the two fellas parting as friends, and uh, that's that. Next episode, we're finally getting to that issue of Marauders that has Banshee and Tempo on the cover. I swear we first saw that thing like a year ago (laughs) being solicited, and we will finally discuss it next time out. But uh, for now, um, I suppose let's talk about this issue of X-Force. Now, I did have a little bit of fun with it as we worked our way through the synopsis. There was some fairly silly stuff here to... uh, to kind of tug at, but uh, ultimately I, I enjoyed this despite some of the flaws that I saw in it. Um, I feel like uh, the incursion on Krakoa was a little bit uh, too easily done. I mean, if it were this easy, you'd figure they this would be happening all the time. And I mean, horticulture just got beaten by the Coda kids, right? Uh, why wouldn't Zeno, who's supposed to have like their finger on the pulse of everything... Why wouldn't they just kidnap the old bags and have them hijack uh, gateways for them so they can get onto Krakoa and just raise all sorts of hell? I don't know, maybe I'm thinking toward, maybe that's the ultimate endgame. Maybe that's where this'll go. But uh, it just felt like a little too convenient and a little too quick. Um, Part of me feels like this was supposed to go a couple more parts because, I mean, look at this story here. Let's say for ease of numbers here, it was 20 pages long. The first 18 pages feel like they're building to something, and then all of a sudden, it's like 
Percy realized he was out of pages and it's like, oh crap, we gotta we gotta kill Bloodroot, we gotta take care of the incursion, and we gotta get this back to a status quo. And so bada bing bada boom, the story's done. You know, Bloodroot gets impaled, turns into a skeleton, the order of Xers just collapse, and all's good in the hood. It felt very, very uneven. Almost truncated. Uh, maybe they have to get certain story beats, you know, in the books before things like Inferno get cooking or the Trial of Magneto concludes. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe there's something to this. Maybe, maybe our Wave One Dawn of X books are all headed to a reboot or cancellation. I couldn't say. But whatever the case, this feels like it was rushed to a conclusion. Um, from looking at the cover of the next issue, it looks like we're finally going to be addressing the Cerebro Sword. Which, I mean, that's a long time coming, right? Uh, the Cerebro Sword was forged back in, what, X-Force number two? Number three, maybe? And it's been missing since before x attends. So that's uh, quite a while that we've been kind of dangling this, uh, you know, Cerebro Sword of Damocles over our heads here, waiting for something to happen. And maybe whatever that something is, it has to happen before a certain point, which is why this uh, manslaughter story felt like it was a little bit squished. Now, speaking of manslaughter for a little bit longer here, I feel like manslaughter is chasing DC's Swamp Thing even more than original Recipe Man Thing, which, I don't know, it's kind of strange. I don't think that manslaughter can can carry his own title. Uh, That doesn't mean that we won't get one, especially with Marvel being the, you know, sticky spaghetti factory that they have been of late, just chucking anything they can at the wall to see what might just stick. And uh, hell, you know, maybe manslaughter will stick. I don't see it happening, but uh, you never know. Really not a whole lot more to say about this one here. Uh, the Xeno slow burn continues to burn slowly. And I mean, I don't know what the end game can possibly be for Xeno, but with this buildup, you know, it's been, it's been two years at this point. It's going to have to be spectacular not to feel like a letdown or a cop-out. And uh, I suppose that'll remain to be seen. <laughs> what else? What else? Uh, the art. The art was very good. Not quite as grotesque as it could be, given the subject matter. And I, and I don't mean grotesque as in, you know, ugly. Or, you know, ugly out of a lack of a talent. But uh, ugly in that, I mean, we're dealing with plant nastiness and spores and all that kind of stuff. It could have been a lot grosser to look at. and This could have been like Dr. Nemesis's head. And it wasn't quite that gross. So <laughs> I, was, uh, I was okay with the art. I liked it quite a bit. But I think that's probably all I have to say about this one. It was a pretty quick and breezy read. I was surprised at how quickly I got through it. But I suppose they don't all have to be, you know, wildly dense. We should, uh, we should take the light and breezy reads as, uh, as you know, little uh, breaks, little, uh, little vacations of sorts, where I don't have to get lost in the scenery and try to find symbolism where there uh, may not be any. So overall, this was a decent and enjoyable read, despite, uh, you know, some of the flaws that I did find with it. I think if you're following along at this point, eh, you'll probably enjoy this one as well. And from here, let's hop into the mailbag. We got a handful of letters here. We're going to start with one from Evan regarding Marauders number 21, which is the um, first or second part of the Hellfire Gala. I think it's the first part of the Hellfire Gala. Evan says, well, this really came out of nowhere. I wish there had been some hints dropped somewhere along the way that a gala was coming up. And yeah, I mean, they never, ever mentioned the fact that there was a gala coming up, did they? This was just so out of left field. I, I saw this gala logo and was like, wait, what? Anyway, um, Evan continues. I've long been a sucker for disjointed, out-of-order narratives where we get a look at the same scenes from different perspectives. So I'm intrigued by how this is unfolding. 
I presume we'll get blanks filled in about what the five-in-one showed the Hellfire Tots somewhere along the way. And yes, we sure do, uh, only, uh, not during the Hellfire Gala. Right after the Hellfire Gala, we find out a little bit about what they, uh, unlocked in, uh, what the hell's her name? Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina's mind there, and, well, prepare to be, uh, whelmed, I guess? I don't know. Uh, Evan continues, I almost wonder if Dolores isn't a clone. Like, there's a friendly version they send out when needed, and the ruthless version that does all the dirty work. Well, you'll find out about Dolores again in the next in the next issue of Marauders, and once again, prepare to be whelmed. <laughs> um, Professor X's exchange with Franklin was disappointed, if for no other reason than it shoots down the theory that it wasn't actually Xavier that kicked Franklin off Krakoa. I almost wish they hadn't addressed it again. Now, Richards may be Franklin's last name, but Chuck is the real Richard in this scene. And yeah, that was a pretty big disappointment because, uh, I mean, up until that moment, like you mentioned, we kind of theorized that maybe this wasn't Professor X doing it. Maybe this was, uh, I mean, Sinister definitely has an eye on Franklin's DNA, even going back to that uh, Marvel Comics number 1000 that we talked about very, very briefly not too long ago, where it kind of made a big deal about Sinister's collection of uh, DNA and how he did not have any Franklin DNA. Which, you know, really got the wheels turning where it could be like, well, maybe maybe Sinister is the one who delivered this message in order to, I don't know, keep the Richard Zizzes off their toes and maybe not expect for a uh, DNA swab to, <laughs> to come flying through their window. I don't know, but this was very disappointing to have Franklin and uh, Professor X face-to-face or face-to-whatever uh, slot machine vomit that uh, Professor X was wearing. It was, uh, yeah, pretty disappointing. Hopefully... I mean, hopefully there's yet another shoe to drop in that situation, but uh, I guess all we can do is uh, wait and see. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the opening salvo of the Hellfire Gala, and I cannot wait to hear more about what you think about the gala as it rolls on, Evan. So thanks so much. Next up, we got Walt talking about Way of X here and doing a little bit of a catch-up here. Walt says, Despite all the positive praise you've heaped on Way of X and how much I wanted to and expected to like it, I'm sorry to say that it really didn't live up to the hype for me. And that, I assure you, is most definitely a Walt problem. And I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I think Evan felt the same way. Uh, maybe I just overhyped it. It's <laughs> always a possibility. You know me, I'm always so negative about these books. I'm always so pessimistic. And I just hate everything. <clears throat> but uh, I think maybe I overhyped it here because it really, it really got to me. It pushed all the buttons that I needed pushed. And... Uh, so maybe the fact that I liked it so much is a Chris problem in and of itself. Now Walt continues, It's been good, of course, and I definitely put it up there among, above the likes of Fallen Angels, and despite my love of Gambit and Rogue, I'd put it above Excalibur and such. In my reading of all the books over the past few months, I don't feel like I've personally gotten a great feel for single titles' identity yet, except that compared to Hellions, Way of X did not top it for me. And yeah, Hellions is a hard bar to uh, to raise, right? Um, I'm not sure which one I like better, because I like them both so much. Uh, Hellions, but for like different reasons, right? I mean, Hellions feels very, very traditional. It feels like the X-Books that we grew up with, and even before uh, we got into the books. They're very Claremontian in how they set up stories, and how they do characterization, and how they they play with the lore, but don't really... They're not slaves to continuity, but they play with the continuity. They really, uh, they pay tribute to what came before. That's, 
That's what's so great about Hellions. Now, Way of X, and again, this is the, the crisp problem. This is the problematic nature of X-Lapsed overall. I spend so many hours with each individual comic that we discuss here, which really gets my mind cooking, because I analyze everything to the nth degree, right? Everything that happens in these books, I need to try to connect to something else that's happening in another book, or is is calling back to something in the past, or is giving us like a an obvious, at least in my mind, clue to what's to come. And with Way of X, it's like the culmination of so many of the questions. Because, I mean, this show, if nothing else, can be very repetitive. Since a lot of these books are, you know, they're moving like an inch at a time, and some of them are just plain tread and water, right? So we have a lot of repetitive questions, a lot of, a lot of points that are being raised over and over and over again, or are kind of folding into a theory or question. So when a book like Way of X hits that just validates all of the analysis that we've been doing on the show. I mean, this is episode 246 right now, which means I probably have about, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 hours of work into this program. It really facilitates uh, mind-wandering and theorizing. So Way of X, I'm taking the scenic route here, but Way of X validated so many of the things that we've uh, discussed here in the mailbag and just things that have been running through my mind in as far as the cracks in society, the exploration of society, what it means to be a society, where things like faith and philosophy fit within a society, and, um, you know, just the, the being the outsider, being the person who can see things for how they really are, or just being the, the lone cynic, you know? I, I think that's something that we fans, the, we, the fans of our vintage kind of get... I don't want to say mocked for, but uh, it's certainly something that's held against us in in discussions, right? Where we're very, very cynical about the way books are being handled nowadays. And here we have Nightcrawler, who is... He's questioning things, you know? And he's looked at as an outsider. And he's looked at as the person who just can't let himself have fun. Just enjoy this. Enjoy this for what it is. This is paradise. And you're looking... I mean, you're looking for snakes in the garden, right? So I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but Nightcrawler is basically us, you know, where we're questioning things. We want answers. We want clarification. We're not just going to go with the flow. And I think that's why it works so well for me. Uh, Walt continues. It was definitely interesting to me to see so much of Legion as well as the looming lethal legacy of Onslaught. And, of course, more Nightcrawler. Any given issue of Way of X seems to have more Nightcrawler than Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler did. Yeah, I don't know why that was ever called Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler. It really should have been called, like, Giant Size Magic or Cypher. <laughs> there was so little Nightcrawler in that. Uh, Walt continues, I dabbled with the X-Books back in 1993, got the first five parts of Fatal Attractions. Uh, not sure when I finally got around to the Excalibur issue, but it was probably a few years after the fact, if not into the early 2000s. Well, yes, Excalibur was that outlier, wasn't it? I, uh, I'm pretty sure that one was probably the last, the last of, like, every <laughs> crossover that I grabbed. Uh, Walt continues, I mostly followed Uncanny X-Men from 303 to 325, something a few months after the Age of Apocalypse. 
I do remember that issue of Uncanny fresh after Prime and the AOA, with Juggernaut referencing Onslaught for the first time and then eventually kicking off the event, officially having Xavier revealed as the ex-traitor and all of that in Onslaught X-Men. I'm pretty sure I got and read a few tie-ins that summer and definitely remember getting Onslaught Marvel Universe. And of course, I mean, Onslaught is a huge, huge subject that we could spend... Boy, we could probably spend dozens. And we... If... if if I live to be, you know, several hundred years old and the Essential X-Lapse gets to 1995, 1996, we will. <laughs> we will spend several dozen episodes on uh, things like Onslaught. And, uh, I mean, Onslaught is a very, very interesting thing. It gets a lot of uh, retroactive guff for being, you know... Uh, for being kind of indicative of what 90s comics excess was And I guess there is an argument to be made for that uh, This is something that started off in just an X-Men comic That wound up engulfing the entire Marvel Universe It set up sending you know, some heavy hitter characters off to the pocket dimension uh, And over to Liefeld and Lee And I mean, there's a lot to talk about And we will, uh, we will do that eventually if, uh, if I live to be several hundred years old the most interesting part of that to me is the fact that, uh, and we talked about this probably when we first met Onslaught in Way of X, Scott Lobdell, when he wrote Uncanny 325, or 323 or so, I think that was right after AOA, he had no idea what Onslaught was. He just put the word Onslaught in there and hoped everything would come together, and, uh, you know, uh, I guess we can look at that a few different ways, like, that is a... I don't know, it's... <laughs> if you're expecting people to pay money for a story, you should probably have some sort of idea as to what it's going to mean, but considering everything that kind of came together and wove together to make the, uh, you know, the tapestry of Onslaught into Heroes Reborn and whatnot, I think uh, they got very, very lucky. They got very lucky that this all came together quite as neatly as it did, especially when they had no idea where it was headed when they launched it. Uh, Walt continues, Nothing I've seen with Onslaught since then has lived up to the original, and I'm sure some of my enjoyment will could well be retroactive rose-colored or ruby quartz-colored glasses. However, I feel with Way of X and the upcoming Onslaught issue, this may well be wind up being the highest quality handling of the entity and character since the original stuff. I agree 100%. I definitely agree. I've been underwhelmed by, you know... Uh, I suppose we can call it interim onslaught. Everything from onslaught in 1995 till now. We had the anniversary series. I think was onslaught part of Axis, where uh, the, like didn't the Red Skull become onslaught for a minute? It, it was very very bizarre. I was kind of in and out of Marvel back then, and uh, I don't quite remember it, but I do remember being uh, very underwhelmed with it. Onslaught as a character here, I always compare him. To uh, And I mean, there's not much of a comparison here, but uh, Trigon over in the Teen Titans. The first time we saw Trigon, it was a huge deal. And of course, this is all retroactive because I was not reading comics back in 1981 when I was one year old. But having read the complete new Teen Titans in more recent years, when Trigon hit, it was a huge deal. And then Trigon just kept coming back. And uh, I remember reading something, it was either an interview with uh, Marv Wolfman or George Perez, where they said that Trigon was going to be like a one-and-done, and maybe come back, you know, ten years later. Trigon was going to be like that holy crap character. If you saw 
uh, Trigon, it was going to be a big story. And that didn't quite work out that way because they just kept bringing the dude back. And every time we saw him, it was, you know, the law of diminishing returns, especially with as easy as he was uh, dispatched each time, you know, each subsequent time. With Onslaught, we've kind of sidestepped that. Onslaught, for the most part, has been kept off the board. And any time Onslaught shows up, it is kind of a, you know, holy crap sort of a situation. I know when I first saw Onslaught in Way of X number 2, it was a holy crap moment. And it was like, wow, they're going there. They're really going there. And I tell you what, I cannot wait to uh, to continue through Way of X and then into the Onslaught revelation. That's, uh, I think that's going to be some really, really good stuff. Now, Walt continues, It's disheartening to assume that Way of X will be this five-issue plus one-shot limited thing, though, who knows, with Marvel Unlimited kicking off a brand new era today. Uh, Walt sent this message on 9-9-21, which is the day that the Infinity Comics were launched. And yeah, who knows, who can say? Uh, maybe after the hickman Shalvey wolverine story, maybe there will be a Nightcrawler thing. Maybe there will be more of an exploration into the themes of Way of X. Though I do, I do still have that sneaking suspicion that uh, this will end with, with Legion uh, martyring himself. And I think the Book of Redacted that we've seen throughout Way of X so far will finally be unredacted, or dacted, I guess. And uh, we'll find out that it's the Book of Legion. That's just my hot take. I could be completely wrong. Uh, Walt wraps up with, Having torn through Hellions, chased my way with Way of X, and started with X-Men post-X of Swords, and left off at number 20, which is the latest issue in Marvel Unlimited, I switched over to X-Factor. I'm not sure how, how high that one goes at this point on Marvel Unlimited, but I'm hoping to be able to be done with Hellions, Way of X, X-Men, and X-Factor over the coming weekend. And then maybe hit Sword, just because it's got fewer issues to get through. Well, my friend, thank you so much for writing in, and I have got your uh, subsequent uh, messages about what you've read next, so we will be covering those in the next several episodes. But I definitely thank you for sharing your thoughts on Way of X. Way of X is, uh, I mean, if it's not perfectly clear at this point, it's a its a very special series to me. And uh, I am looking forward to seeing how it wraps up, and I'm also looking forward to see just where uh, Simon Spurrier might wind up. I hope we don't lose him. I want him to stick around in the uh, in the X family. And uh, hey, fingers crossed, maybe he takes over Excalibur. <laughs> I mean, that's pie-in-the-sky stuff here, but fingers crossed. Uh, thank you so much again, Walt. Uh, next up, we got Peter talking about Children of the Atom number two. Now, in Children of the Atom number two, I posited some questions about uh, how these kids got their uh, their wonderful toys. And Peter says, In addition to the suits from New Warriors and MGH, Mutant Growth Hormone, it made me think of the process created by Stark or Pym that would give powers to regular people in the short-lived The Order series. I think it was a genetic, a genetic virus or something equally nightmarish sounding. Oh, those wacky Avengers. And now I'm trying to remember... I, I think I read a little bit of The Order. I wasn't a huge fan of it, so I don't think I stuck around all that long. I might have collected it for a while, because I'm an idiot, and I do that. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's a Matt Fraction book. And uh, Fraction, he ain't, my, uh, he ain't my flavor of ice cream. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of Matt Fraction's work. And I just wasn't a huge fan of Marvel at this point. This is right as I was uh, losing my zombiehood. <laughs> this was right after Civil War from... Again, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the Order was one of the initiative teams where every state was going to get, like, their own representative superhero team as part of the uh, Registration Act. Again, a lot of that's a haze for me, and a lot of that I I remember less than fondly. 
I think the order um, was originally going to be called the Champions, if I'm, again, not mistaken. Um, but there was some sort of a rights issue with the name, so they had to call it the Order. But other than that, I don't remember a damn thing about that book. And of course, by now, we have a better idea of how the Coda kids got their powers. And uh, I mean, if we squint, it makes sense. Um, though I tell you, gun to my head, I, I don't know that I could tell you exactly what those uh, where the suits originated from at this point. It's been a minute, I guess, since I, uh, since I read that reveal. But thank you so much for your thoughts and your theories, Peter. I look forward to hearing more from you. Now, from here, let's hop into the Week in X. And if you remember, this is usually where I would go through what's going to show up on Marvel Unlimited this week, as well as what's going to show up on the shelves. Unfortunately, uh, Marvel.com has not updated for what's going to happen in September. Uh, for the past several months, at the beginning of the month, they put out a page that says, hey, this is what to expect during this month on Marvel Unlimited. Can't find September, still. I assumed that it was being held off due to the Infinity Comics launch, but it still ain't there, at least to my knowledge, and I, I tried looking at every permutation of the website and uh, couldn't find it. If anybody knows how to find it, please let me know and uh, I will include it. So I couldn't tell you what's on Marvel Unlimited right now, but, I mean, it's Monday, so uh, whatever's there is there. And once you open your app, you will, uh, you'll see it, I guess. Let's talk shelves here. What do we got coming this Wednesday? We got X-Corp number five, hopefully of five. Uh, X-Men number three, X-Men Legends number seven, X-Men The Onslaught Revelation number one, which is going to be wrapping up the Way of X series. We got X-Force by Percy volume three trade, and we got Sword by Ewing volume one trade. So a pretty healthy week of X-Books if you're, uh, if you're following along with the show and still buying physical copies or uh, buying uh, digital copies on the day they hit those digital racks. But that's the week in X. Let's hop into a brief news segment here. I want to thank our friend Ed Moore for sending this my way the other day. It looks like there's a Sabretooth series launching January 5th, 2022. Written by Victor Lavelle with art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Rain Barreto. And this is going to tell us what Sabretooth's been up to over the past however long he's been gone, and uh, apparently it's not what we think. The cover features Sabretooth stood in flames, which may be an Inferno illusion, or it might be just a Hell illusion, I guess. Now this will launch alongside the X-Lives of Wolverine, also January 5th, 2022. And now I'm still not 100% clear on what the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine is going to be. I did uh, float a theory when it was first announced that maybe this was going to be the rumored Maura McTaggart series, only with Wolverine's name in the title, so people actually buy it. Um, Maybe we assume that the X is ten, you know, ten lives, ten deaths, and maybe Wolverine has always been part of Maura's life, so we'll see Maura from Wolverine's point of view. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm grasping here. Uh, But the X lives and X deaths, ten lives, ten deaths, however we're going to say it, it's feeling more and more like a uh, like a two series that are one gimmick, kind of like Hoxpox was. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know if they're going to be canceling Wolverine Volume 7 or putting it on pause or running it alongside it. I don't know if X-Lives and X-Deaths is a weekly or a bi-weekly or a monthly. I mean, I guess solicits for January will be out in about a month from now. So I guess we'll find out exactly what we're in store for around the middle of uh, October or so. 
But that's the news. I do want to close out with some shout-outs here, thanking some folks on the social medias who uh, who shared or liked or helped spread the word about the program here. So let's get into our list here from Twitter. I'd like to thank The Longbox Crusade, Chris Bailey, Mark Jagger, Walt Neeland, Professor Allen, Fabian Niciesa. <clears throat> How about that? I, I doubt he listened to the show, but uh, he did. Uh, he did click the hearts. That's a. I guess that's something. We take any victory we can get here on X Lapsed. Uh, also, Pat Sampson, Joe Crawford, Jason Colby, Dave Schultz, Bob Rowland, Ed Moore, Luke Hollywood, Stork, the Scary Stuff Podcast, Jeremiah, Billy D, and Jared Alberic, the uh, yard sale artist himself. Thank you all so much. Over on Facebook, I'd like to thank Jeremiah, Billy D, Jesse D. Young, Pat Sampson, Walt Neeland, Evan Bevins, and Andrew Franklin. But that, my friends, will do it for today. It's uh, We're just another step closer to the milestone 250th episode, where uh, if I can gather my gumption and guts, there might just be a uh, special announcement about the future of this program. Uh, I did send out a coded teaser the other day, which uh, some people did solve. <laughs> So uh, it is solvable for sure, but um, if you're interested in finding out a, uh, a sneak peek at what might be coming down the pike, that coded message is at my social media accounts. And uh, if you'd like to check that out, you could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. And hey, while you're at it, you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can check us out on Facebook. 90s X-Men is our group. And, of course, for the archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And that is, of course, available on all of your favorite and least favorite uh, podcasting applications. And with all that said, I'd like to thank you all so much for spending some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.